Welcome. This is Out of the Ordinary Books, where we believe that the books we read help us better understand the lives we lead. I'm Lisa Jo Baker. And I'm Christy Purifoy. And every week we share an Out of the Ordinary book and how it can help you make sense of your story too. These aren't book reviews or recommendations. These are conversations about some of our best friends, worst enemies, toughest coaches, most passionate lovers, and kindest teachers that line our bookshelves. We hope these conversations help you see the deeper story hidden right in plain sight in your ordinary life, too. Get comfy. Here we go. Lisa Joe, I feel like I just saw your lovely face at my kitchen table not so many hours ago. <laughs> because you did. <laughs> <laughs> so it's really nice. I can almost pretend like you never left. You're still here and we're still continuing the conversation. <laughs> it seems like we've gotten into a new habit. I used to come to your house to record podcast conversations, but now when we come to your house, we just savor that time. We have meals. We sit and talk theology for hours with our husbands out on the deck. We go to book launch events. And then the very next day after I've driven home, we get on to record a podcast together. Somehow we've changed the pattern. It's good, but I think it's still good. Like we're still recording. We're still sharing conversations on the podcast out of that overflow of friendship. And this was definitely a weekend when the friendship tank was filled up to overflowing. It was such a special weekend. So some of our listeners may have seen some photos we shared on Instagram over the weekend. You came up because we had the chance to celebrate with a friend of ours who is also a writer, Sean Smucker, who has a new novel out. And he was hosting a celebration, a celebration gathering um, up near Lancaster, which isn't too far from where I live. And you drove me through the corn fields on that magical Saturday night. Uh, I feel like the sun was just at that perfect angle where everything just looked like enchanted land. And uh, and then to spend the evening in a, in a, at a gathering. You I and know. I hadn't done that. I mean, that was so wild. And I know for a lot of our listeners, if you're overseas, it might seem strange that we're gathering again over here in the U.S. And I'm just so aware, especially since I have family in South Africa, where it's under pretty strict lockdown and actually have several family members battling COVID right now. So it's a strange dichotomy to be here in the States where we have the privilege of being vaccinated. And so places are opening up. And this was our very first gathering we were back at that was sort of like an excuse for a party. And it seemed so strange. It was outside, but it was strange to be with everyone. And I love what you said, because as we were driving there through, really, it felt like postcard. It was so beautiful. There were gatherings all along the way. It was about an hour's drive through Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and there were tables set out and cars parked and twinkle lights. And we just kept passing all these communities all hosting their yeah. own gatherings. I mean, unrelated. It was just so magical. And I, I love how, of course, you connected it to a book. Oh, right. It reminded me of that scene in the first Narnia book. 
The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where the witch's spell is fading, it's weakening and being broken, and all of a sudden, the children notice little gatherings, and they pass the animals who are uh, under a tree beginning to feast, a little Christmas feast, and it was it's like a sure sign that something new has come, spring is coming, it's a new season, and that's exactly how I felt <laughs> driving up that road and seeing for the... I, you know, it's, it's one of those things until you see it, you don't fully appreciate that you haven't seen that right. in a long, long time. And right. the fact that we were together and we were on our way to a gathering. So we love Sean Smucker. We love his books, but we really loved the chance to get out of the house together on Saturday night. And it's interesting because his book that was launching is called The Weight of Memory. And it was so magical. I mean, it truly, it was along a river... There were these tables beautifully set. There were twinkle lights. There was live music. And I kept thinking about the book, even though at the time I didn't know anything about the story. It's a fiction. But just the title, I kept thinking, wow, I did feel the weight of remembering how it used to be, what gathering Mm. was like. And it felt like we were stepping into that. Like the whole evening, I felt the weightiness of how it used to be how 2020 was, and then how we are returning somehow to to that weighty, beautiful place of in-person community. And so there just seemed to be a lot of threads that were all connected throughout that evening. Yes. And while some of you listeners may think that we are now about to launch into a conversation rooted in Sean's book, <laughs> we're not actually. And that's only because you and I are still in the middle of it. So we've got to finish it first. Yes. yes. <laughs> and, but we will. Don't worry. We will we certainly will. talk we about will. it. We will. And then I have a feeling, yeah, I have a feeling we will be bringing uh, this book or one of Sean's books to the table. But Lisa Joe, today is your turn. We always switch back and forth. So what book friend are you bringing to the conversation today? Well, last week we teased that we had a surprise coming for our listeners. And in the spirit of being able to gather again, especially because we know with a lot of our overseas friends, they are not able to, we wanted to host a virtual gathering of sorts to invite you into Christy's kitchen the way I come in to sit at the countertop with her as she cooks. And not just as she cooks, but as she cooks recipes out of some of our favorite books. So we're putting together the two things we love. And it's designed as an evening of celebration and thanks for some people in this community that are very special because of the way they partner with an organization and a calling that really matters to us. So I sort of shared the reward first, but it comes as a thank you, the way you host people to say thank you. And it's kind of like how Sean was hosting us to say thank you for participating in this new work of his. We want to invite people to gather to celebrate the work of an organization Christy and I have both been connected to for, I mean, me for over a decade, probably you similarly, Christy. Oh, yeah. Almost 20 years, probably. That's wild. It's the work of Compassion International, who are, I think most people, even around the globe, are familiar with their work, but they are a child sponsorship agency. They partner around the globe with different local, on the ground, you know, deeply rooted in the community organizations, typically churches, in order to provide support to kids. And uh, and that support provides education, clothing, birthday presents. We just sent one of our kids a gift for his birthday that comes up this month. And because Compassion has asked us to partner in this new, unique way, I really 
I couldn't stop thinking about the book that I always turn to when I think of the story of compassion. And the book is called Too Small to Ignore. And it's by one of Compassion's former presidents. I think he served Compassion for over 20 years. His name is Wes Stafford. And he wrote this book about compassion. And I read it a decade ago because 10 years ago, I was invited to travel with Compassion International to Guatemala to really just bear witness to the work that they were doing on the ground. And it was one of the first times I got to meet internet friends, you know, people I really only knew from online, from their blogs or from Twitter at the time I was writing for Encourage, the website. And we got to meet, I'll never forget, at an airport. I think we were in Dallas where all our connecting flights arrived and we sat down in a food court together and we got to meet for the first time before we continued on to Guatemala. And I got to meet um, Lindsay Nobles and Amanda Jones and Ann Voskamp and Sean Groves. And we all sat down together and what was, there was just so many special things about that trip, like so much. I, I was so excited to go. We had already, we'd already been sponsoring a child uh, through Compassion um, so to be able to travel with them and see firsthand what they did was really exciting. But I had agreed to go on this trip and then found out I was pregnant with our third baby. And I confessed to not telling the trip leader, Sean, that I was pregnant. Oh. <laughs> Because I was afraid he would tell me I couldn't come because of like travel. I don't, I didn't know like what their policy was, but I was determined to go. And so I remember how I have always thought about that. Zoe, her first travel she ever did, her first international trip, she came with me as sort of a spark of new life. We didn't even know if it was a boy or a girl yet at the time. And we flew together to Guatemala and got to spend just some really amazing time meeting the people on the ground, meeting families. There's a little boy that we sponsor. His name is Daniel. He must have been four or five. No, that's not. He must have been six when we first met him because he's 16 now, 10 years later, which is just craziness. I have pictures of him like playing with little toy cars. And we've always sponsored boys because we had boys and I felt like I could relate to boys. I understood kind of a little bit about their story. And so on that trip, I do, I remember being really, really nervous to meet him. Like, I didn't want to freak him out. I thought, like, how would my boys feel if there's this random stranger from another country who doesn't speak my language coming to visit me at my house? But I got to meet his mom and his sister and him, and we played with cars. And cars really are a universal language, cars and soccer were the two things he definitely <laughs> had in common with my boys. Um, but that that whole experience of sponsorship I really believe has been so meaningful to me because of this book, Too Small to Ignore. And I know a lot of the time people imagine, okay, if the president of a company or an organization has written a book, they're probably just chilling, you know, their organization. It's mm -hmm. like, here's our strategic right. plan or our vision or whatever. And the book is not that at all. It is a page turner that reads like fiction. Have you read this book, Christy? I was just curious. Do you know anything about Wes Stafford's story? I don't. I don't know anything about his story or this book, even though, as I said, we've been partnering with Compassion for almost 20 years. We love what they do. I feel like we know a lot about the organization, and yet I had no idea that there even was this book. I know. So when I found out I was going on this trip, I actually um, had heard about the book because there's so many interesting circumstances. Before I was working for Encourage and doing online work, I worked for a Christian organization that took 
my boss took her little tiny team of staff, there were three of us, to Willow Creek's Leadership Summit that was in Chicago. This was in 2008. We had no idea what it was. I didn't know what to expect. And um, I don't remember any of the speakers except for Wes Stafford, who spoke at the time. And he was the president of Compassion. He shared. And at the end of his talk, they had, you know, ushers standing at the doors of this, you know, 6,000 plus seating auditorium. And they just gave out copies of his book to every single person in attendance. But when he spoke, he shared the story himself. And I have never been so moved by a speaker. And in short, his story, I think, resonates with me so deeply because it's similar to mine in some respects. So he is a white American man, but he was born to missionary parents who were serving in, in West Africa on the Ivory Coast. And Cote d'Ivoire is the name of the country. Everyone speaks French there. And as a child, that's where he grew up, living in this very remote village with his parents and living like one of the boys in the village. He describes going out and being responsible for herding goats or cows, you know, <laughs> learning how to be very accurate with a stick, how they would put like little clumps of mud on a stick and flick it or with a slingshot and eventually with like a, you know, a tiny little, uh, yeah, the slingshot was the biggest thing that they would use for, you know, getting rid of birds who were on the crops um, and he just shares what he learned from this village experience, the sense of community. But what makes the book really compelling is that he then shares how at from the ages of six to 10, he was sent away to boarding school, which is the similar experience that my own father had growing up on a farm in South Africa. He was sent to boarding school. And then he shares these very traumatic experiences. And as a child, how vulnerable you are. And it was a Christian boarding school, you know, supposed to be run by kind and loving people. And instead, some just really horrific child abuse happened there. And I was talking to a friend about it recently, about my father's experiences at boarding school. And she said, and I did not know this because she has her degree in psychology, but in the book of psychology, you know, it's the, the, you know there's like a textbook that has all these different conditions you can look up. Yeah. There's actually a condition related to boarding school. It's called like boarding school trauma or something like that. It's a good actual oh, psychological wow. form of PTSD that a lot of kids have to overcome, whether it was an abusive environment or not. But this was highly abusive. And so when he's on the stage in front of like thousands of people, he starts describing that experience as a child and how vulnerable he was and how those experiences really formed him and his love for children and his understanding of what it means to protect children and to care for them. And it's really interesting in the very opening of his book, Too Small to Ignore, which is so great, right? Because typically we think kids are so small that they don't count or we overlook them. But his whole point is because they're so small, we can't ignore them. And his book starts with this introduction and it it's called The Great omission, which if you've grown up in the church, you're probably familiar. It's a play on this phrase, the Great Commission, which Christ, when he sends us out to make disciples of everybody, and he calls it the Great Omission. And he has he opens the story like this. He says, late one evening, D.L. Moody, the premier American evangelist of the 1800s, arrived home from speaking at a meeting. Emma, his wife, was already asleep. 
As her exhausted husband climbed into bed, she rolled over and murmured, So, how did it go tonight? Pretty well, he replied. Two and a half converts. His wife lay silently for a moment, pondering this response, then finally answered, That's sweet, she replied. How old was the child? No, 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 Moody answered. It was two children and one adult. The children have their oh. whole lives in front of them. The adult's <laughs> life is already half gone. <laughs> and isn't that great? And so Wes uses that as the premise of how he writes about the value of children. And so the book is sort of in two parts. The first half of the book is his own experience in Africa in a village where children were deeply loved and esteemed in the community. And then his he counters that with his experience at this boarding school that was deeply abusive. And then the second half of the book really talks about his life mission and how having been formed that way, Compassion International became to him this life calling to invest in children. And in the book, often he'll tell stories about being at big leadership events where all these strategies are planned for how we need to engage the church and engage culture. And never do the speakers talk about children. And he says it enrages him anytime he's sitting at an event like that. And there's no mention of kids or kids ministry or kids pastors or how to empower kids as leaders. And reading this book completely changed how I think about children in almost every way. It was incredibly powerful. And it changed for me too as a parent and then someone who has reluctantly worked in children's ministry or Sunday school or VBS. <laughs> yeah how what we pour into the lives of kids, is it forms them. They remember it forever. And I'll tell you a little bit about this piece that he shared. So he's on the stage at, at Willow Creek. He's talking about this experience that he had in the boarding school and his deep love for his village where he was a missionary and how these uh, people who ran the school kept these children silent by telling them, if you tell your parents what we're doing, then your parents will have to leave and go back to America. And so God's work will be incomplete and it'll be your fault. Mm. Like, can you imagine mm. putting that on a child? And he had such a love for his village that he didn't want to leave. And so he didn't want to tell what was happening to him. But eventually he does come to tell his parents there's a huge investigation that happens. Um, this, this, but it takes many, many years for any accountability to be brought to these people who were the abusers. And it's not till he's an adult. Can you believe that? Not till he's an adult that he is able to help launch a true investigation into the school. And partly because at the time, nobody would take seriously what children were saying. They didn't believe them. So he was an adult who had become the president of Compassion International before anyone took seriously these claims against the school. And he described sitting in a meeting, it's kind of like a Joseph moment. He describes sitting in a meeting with one of the men who is uh, in charge of the missions board that ran the school. And this man is complaining to who he, he just assumes is like his friend and colleague was about these kids and these adult claims coming out about how badly they were treated and it's taking up so much time and energy and how do we get rid of this? And it just seems like it's interfering with the work of Christ and the gospel, having no idea that Wes Stafford himself had attended the school. And in this moment where this man is just sort of ranting against 
these overly dramatic adults who are basically losers is what he calls them. They can't get their lives together. And so they're trying to blame the school. And Wes says, I believe them. We have to look into this. And the man says, why would you say that? And Wes says to him, because I was one of those children. And it is this reckoning moment. And the book just builds this incredible climax of confrontation where he has to come and testify. And he gets to see sort of the adult version of these abusers who continue to claim that they did nothing wrong. And he describes this very powerful moment where he is then standing. So he's had to testify at this hearing. I won't describe it all, let you read it. And there's the sense of how they, the abusers made it sound like he was a liar or that he misremembered. And the very next day, he was the keynote speaker in front of the American Council on Psychology or Psychiatrists, you know, therapeutic community. And he's standing on the stage and he says he's trying, he's trying to give his speech that he's supposed to give. And yet he feels so traumatized from what happened the day before. He doesn't know how to move forward. And in that moment, he stops and he says, I'm so sorry. And this is why he's so endearing. He's just like the most authentic man. He's like a grandpa, you know, now he's tall, lanky, beanpole kind of guy. And he says from the stage, he's awkward. He says he starts crying and he says, I'm so sorry. I had this very traumatic experience yesterday. I had to testify about some childhood traumas I experienced and I guess since I'm standing in front of an auditorium of psychologists, maybe it's the <laughs> best place to share how difficult it was for me. They said they didn't believe me. No matter what I shared or how detailed I talked about the abuse, they just kept saying they didn't believe me. And then he said it was so humiliating to him, he just started sobbing. And he's standing in this keynote auditorium, a grown man crying, saying they didn't believe me. And he says, from the back of the auditorium, this person yells out, I believe you, Wes. And suddenly <laughs> from all over the auditorium, people start yelling, I believe you. I believe you. We believe you. And he said the whole auditorium just resounded with these voices saying that they believed him. And he uses that to talk about how powerful it is to say that we believe kids, like we believe their stories, we believe their pain, we believe their needs, we believe their passions and their dreams. And I could just like go on and on because <laughs> for me, I, there I was in Guatemala pregnant with my own child, looking at the lives of kids, meeting their families in the shadow of this great man who had suffered so much himself but had called us to serve the least of these the way Jesus does. And I guess I'll read one more quote from the book. That's just how, how he talks about his view of children. He says, deep down, I have come to the conclusion that the reason children are such a low priority to the great human institutions that seek to control this world, both secular and Christian, is that an invisible battle, a spiritual war, rages over each and every child. It is above us and beyond us and engages the full fury of the hosts of both heaven and hell. Children may be ignored by government, church, and mission, but not by Satan or God Almighty. 
And I'm telling you that whole book by the end, you just have like goosebumps all over your body as you remember again, oh yes, there's a reason Jesus said, like, let the little ones come. Like adults move aside, stop complaining, whining, or criticizing. Let the kids come to me. And yeah, West Stafford, that was in 2008. So like 12, 13 years ago. And I can still see him standing on that stage, telling us that story and then handing out his book for free because he so badly wants people to hear the stories of children and how much they matter. Whew. I got nothing, Lisa Joe. I know. <laughs> I just have to sit with that. Wow. So what year was it that you went to Guatemala? I went to Guatemala in 2010, and then Zoe was born okay. in 2011, and she had come with me as a little spark of new life. <laughs> oh, so I, I remember that trip very well. Of course, we were friends, so I knew you were headed there. And I don't know that I had started blogging yet myself, but I was certainly reading your blog daily. And I think that was about the time I had started reading in Boss Camps as well. So I remember following your trip really closely and reading your posts and reading her posts. And I remember that at that time, we did sponsor one child through Compassion. We had done that um, for a couple of years. But I remember in following your trip, so at that point... Over the years, I had always had a lot of difficulty getting pregnant. Mm. So, with each child (laughs) or between each child, I was always going through these very intense seasons of prayer and longing and doctor's visits. And it was always very painful and also good. You know, Mm. God always drew near during those times. So, so that was the season of life I was in. And um, at that point, um, we had three children and we were sponsoring the the one through compassion. um, But still there was this longing maybe for another child. And I was wrestling with that because I didn't want to go through that experience again. I did not want to want another child. Yeah. <laughs> um, but now, of course, uh, you know, our listeners will know I did. I, I <laughs> God gave the good gift of Elsa, who has been just, I mean, a deeply good gift. But that's the season I was in. And so, I remember following the trip and and what you were sharing and what Ann Boskamp was sharing, I realized that I was pouring all of this longing and love into the desire I had for children. And I knew that even if finances were tight, which, you know, they always were, right? For most right. of us, they always are, especially when you're you're younger and you're raising young kids and you're growing your family. But I remember recognizing then that if my child ne- needed something, whether it was something serious like a, a medical treatment or it was just something like they wanted that special pair of shoes right. and not the less, exi- you know, I sort of knew that that if it was important, if it really mattered, I would dig deep. I would scrimp and save. I would find a way. And that, because I was living in the U.S., even though I didn't feel wealthy compared maybe with my neighbors, I knew that I was rich in resources beyond what many, if not most, people around the world are. Meaning I had, you know, even if I had to budget carefully, 
me and my children had access to clean water and clean air and a chance of good educations and stable government, local churches, networks of, of safety and love. I mean, we had so much. And I remember realizing that even if my kids needed a little bit more, I would dig deep and we would, and we would find a way to make it happen. And I thought for the first time, well, if I would do that for my three kids, if I would do that for the fourth that I hope I have, why am I just sponsoring one child from Compassion? Oh, I love it's you. Not, <laughs> I love your heart right? so much. I, I thought, I, I suddenly could see that this wasn't just like the giving line item in our budget. This wasn't just our tithing. This wasn't just our ministry giving. Like there's all of that. And that is all so good and so necessary. But this suddenly shifted into a different category for me. This shifted into like family and childcare and love and raising children. And I knew that those categories in my budget always had a lot of wiggle room, right? Like right. I could squeeze and shift and, and reprioritize in order to add to, to, to that section of like my heart and my budget. Right. <laughs> and so then I realized, oh my goodness, if I have three children, at the very least, I should be sponsoring a child for each of my three and maybe more. And why wouldn't I? And also had this sense that I was relying on God utterly for the gifts of my life. I could not get pregnant on my own. I could not make it happen. And so I was so dependent on Him for the things that I wanted most in life. And so with that mindset, I thought, why would I hold anything back, especially money? Like, what is money? Why would I hold it back? Because I, I worry about the commitment or I think, can I really afford this for a number of years, you know? And, and suddenly, it just everything just sort of shifted, and I pulled up the website, and I, I started looking for children whose birthdays matched That's the what birthdays we've done of my own kids. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So we, so, we had the one we were sponsoring, and then I found uh, a little boy whose birthday matched Thaddeus's. And then I actually found a little girl, um, Anjali, who was something about, she, oh, gosh, she had this party dress on in her photo, and it, you could just tell, I might cry just talking about it, you could just tell that someone had dressed her up mm. for that picture. <laughs> <laughs> and then she had this name, like, Little Angel, you know, so, so she shared a birthday with my baby, bo- you know, my toddler boy. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, if our family grows— our compassion family will grow. Mm. And it has, it has over the years. But I share that just because for me, this just is a different category of generosity from other kinds of generosity that I hope I am showing in my life. And I haven't read this book. I didn't know his story, but this this makes so much sense to me that what compassion is doing, what we're able to participate in through child sponsorship is, um, it's like a whole nother level of participating in God's love for, for His little children around the world, for the most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And if God had blessed me with more children, like if, if somehow that had happened and I hadn't had four children, but I had five, six, right? I would have found a way financially to, to take care of them and do my best. And then here is this organization that makes it possible for us to care really quite intimately mm-hmm. and and deeply for children who are in some of the most vulnerable places in the world, positions in the world because of where they've been born, maybe what's happening in their country, maybe what's happening in their local communities. Through compassion, we have access to them. 
We can see them. We can choose them. And we can continue to know them, connect with them, write letters to them, hear from them. Um, so it's, you know, beyond just um, the, the monthly uh, commitment of, of funding. And, I mean, that's just unlike anything else we, we do in terms of generosity and hospitality. And I do think of it as a kind of hospitality. To me, it was at this moment in my life where I would have done anything to open up our family home to more children. Um, this is a way to open up our homes, um, whether we're parents or not, whether we have young kids or not, it is a way to always be opening up our homes to children and to be responding to what Jesus says when He says, let the little children come to me. I mean, what do I really think that means? I know. So, if you think this is a hard sell we're giving you, guess what? It is. Like, we are unapologetically <laughs> asking you to please so sponsor important. kids. Like, we mean it. Yeah. We, we really do. Yeah. I mean, especially in these days of a pandemic where a lot of the rest of the world is not out of it yet and families have been deeply right. affected by it. I actually have been writing with my little Daniel in Guatemala. It was really precious. He asked me, um, I guess he's not that little anymore. He's big. Like it's you and I talked about this. When I look at my own sons, I know the size Daniel is now because he's the same age as them. And I just got a letter from him last week and they do it electronically now. You get like a notification Mm -hmm. in your email that you have a new letter and then you go online and you click and it's a PDF. It's so cool that you get to see it. And um, you still see the original Spanish and then it's translated into English for me. And he said, luckily, their family had all been able to stay healthy and they're using hand sanitizer and masks. And then he asked me, what are you doing to stay healthy? What does it look like for you? Did you have to isolate at home? Like, it was kind of, it's an interesting conversation to have. Like, what does it look like in your country? Because we're having the same experience, but in different countries. Um, I shared with him that my husband lost his job. And that's been for us challenging. You know, it's been one of those places where we were trying to figure out where can we save money and And I remember Pete at one point just said to me, we have this line item for Compassion Kids. And we both just looked at each other and then moved on. Like that wasn't going to be a place (laughs) where we changed anything. And so it's a commitment. I mean, 10 years, it's $38 a month. And um, Uh if you think about it, though, what what an impact that can make in a family. It's not just affecting a child. It's actually impacting his caretakers, his family, Mm -hmm. his ability to attend Mm -hmm. school, just Everything is impacted by that. And when we were in Guatemala, we got to visit, they call them child development centers. They're often associated with a church or a school where compassion hosts education programs or after school or before school or maternal health classes. And so we got to meet a lot of the kids that are in the compassion program. And I will say, I more and more am a sucker for teenagers more than little kids. Like little kids are sweet and cute, but there was something incredibly powerful about meeting these older boys. And I'll never forget, Jose, Jose and Miguel sat and talked to us for quite a while about what it's like to get letters from your sponsor. They're able to pull out letters and show them to you. When we visited people in the slums of Guatemala, there's actually a slum city there. And we visited families there who, like under their mattresses, have saved letters from their sponsors who have been writing to their kids. They have photographs of families. And they can tell you, my sponsor's from Florida. My sponsor's from Pittsburgh. They know their stories. They know their names. And we got to talk to these boys about what that's like to learn from someone in another in another country. And it was interesting because for the kids, actually, it's not so much even about the money, about being part of the program. 
because they don't know how much money you're sending. Like they just know they're part of this program now. But what's a big deal for them are the letters. Chrissy, I was so convicted because we've been bad at letter writing. I actually wrote a blog post at the time called Lame Sponsors of the World Unite. It's like how pathetic it was that I hadn't written and hadn't realized how these letters are savored, how special they are. And um, so I work really hard. I'm not as consistent as I think Sean Groves has his kids every month write a letter to their kids. And we try to do it Mm -hmm. every few months. But to actually meet these teen boys who'd been sponsored for years could tell you all about their sponsor, could show you their letters, could talk to you about how they're being mentored by the pastor who oversees the center, to see young men mentored by male pastors. You know, they told us about one of them wanted to do photography. One of them had like was really interested in videography, cinematography. It was just, it was everything that it is talking to teen kids, you know, about their skateboards and you just realize how if you if you only think about it like, oh, I can't afford that or that's going to stretch us, you're missing out on a much bigger story of somebody's life. And I'm not trying to guilt you. I think I'm really trying to invite you mm, yeah. into a story bigger than us. It's just a bigger story. And I think we, we think our story is so small and finite. Like I only have X amount of resources, but you'd be surprised because God, of course, is so generous and creative. And if you feel like that itch in your spirit right now, like, please follow it. Like open the door, come into the kingdom. Like there's always more, there's more room at the table. There are resources, even when it feels like you're stretched thin. I I really do know what that feels like. And yet, and yet, if we had to figure out a way to make more for our own kids, we would. And I just think these are our kids. There's that great line, there's no such thing as any as other people's children, right? Like, they're all our kids. So, I know I'm on my soapbox. I am not apologizing for it. But I would <laughs> like to say, if you decide to sponsor, the really fun thing is that Christy and I are hosting a virtual event that's only accessible to people who are choosing to sponsor now through the show. And maybe you're already sponsored. So maybe you want to consider taking it on another kiddo. But if you're not able at this time, we might be able to figure out how to get you a link so you could purchase a ticket to the event. But our hope is that you'll lean into child sponsorship because we have a thank you evening planned for our sponsors. And Christy, being at your house this weekend, it was like a little foretaste of what we have planned. That's right. I can't wait. We are going to invite all of you as a celebration like Sean did for us this weekend, a celebration, a thank you, sort of gathering together after we've made that commitment to add another sponsorship or more to our our families. And you're invited to Maplehurst. And the really cool thing is you're invited in a way that you and I, Lisa Joe, we couldn't do on our own. Right. But compassion is helping us do it like as a thank you to you all who sponsor at this time through our page and there's the link in the show notes to take you there they are making it possible with all of their resources and their planning and their tech know-how for us to come to you live from the kitchen at Maplehurst where you and I will be cooking and eating and sharing recipes and talking books and giving tours we have tours planned of the garden here the barn the house I think I can promise you, you will see things that 
I have not shared, maybe <laughs> online before, um, some of the more private spaces. You, you, you are, you're a guest, and thank you, and we want to celebrate with you. And so that's that's coming up. Um, is that next week? What is the date, Lisa Joe? Yeah, the 22nd. It'll be in the evening, so 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central. And part of what's really fun is that Christy will be cooking recipes inspired by our very favorite Louise Penny, Armand Gamache Mystery Series. Do you want to give them a little teaser of some of the things you're going to be showing how to make, Christy? That's right. I think our food that evening will have a very definite French accent. I'm remembering uh, summer flavors. Lim- think lemons, raspberries, chocolate, fresh produce. Um, yeah, it's going to be really tasty. I can't wait. So we really hope you take some time, click through the link in our show notes. It'll tell you about the event. It'll take you to a page of kids who are waiting for sponsors. There's some kids who've been waiting for over years. So what that means is they are affiliated with a Compassion Center. Compassion has taken down all of their details and created a profile on them. And now they're waiting to match with somebody who will come alongside to help sponsor their education and their family and their clothes and et cetera, et cetera. All the amazing resources that your $38 a month is able to provide for a family. So I really ask you, you know, it's something to do as a family to talk to your kids about it, invite them to look at the faces of the children. Maybe you're looking at the birthdays. Maybe there's a country you've been studying or you've seen in the news and you want to find a way to support. This is really beautiful activity to do together as a family. And um, we don't want to guilt you. We want to invite you to sponsor <laughs> and then to come and spend an evening with us at Maplehurst. If you enjoyed today's conversation, won't you take a moment right now, open up that podcast app and look for the subscribe button right next to our podcast profile image. And we think this podcast is best enjoyed with friends. So tell a friend, click share episode in your podcast app and send a friend our link. 